Why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to Jeremiah 17. If you're just joining us, we go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We don't skip us a word um, and we go right through the scriptures. Um, and we happen to be in the book of Jeremiah. And, um, and the book of Jeremiah is a great book. It's, it's heavy. Uh, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, but there are little bright lights of joy as well. Uh, and so we're gonna be kind of taking a look at that. But um, before we get to our text, uh, there's a story I wanted to tell you that's kind of, <clears throat> kind of springboards into our topic. On, <clears throat> excuse me, on Sunday morning, we take a smaller couple verses. Uh, and then on Wednesday night, we look at the, the whole chapters in context. We've been covering four chapters the last two Wednesdays. So we're gaining some ground, thank the Lord. And we'll be doing hopefully the same this Wednesday. But a couple verses I'll draw your attention to here in a minute. Um, but the topic is the issues of the heart. His name, John Blanchard, stood up from the bench, um, straightened his army uniform, and studied the crowd of people that were walking around Grand Central Station there in New York City. Um, it was right after World War II there as he looked for the girl whose heart he knew but whose face he didn't. You see, there's a story, the, the girl with the rose, that's who he was looking for. His interest had begun when he went into, a, before the war, he went into an old used bookstore and found this leather-bound old book that was a, a, a you know, a le, it was a beautiful old book and he picked it up and he started to read it. But as he read this book before the war, um, what interested him is he, he began to look through and see that there was someone who made notes in the book and had beautiful handwriting. And um, it wasn't even really the words of the book that intrigued him as much as the notes penciled in the margins. Uh, the soft handwriting kind of reflected this, you know, intelligent but uh, thoughtful, <clears throat> kind of a, a, a insightful soul. And it intrigued him. And as he looked through the book, he saw the previous owner of the book, uh, her name was uh, written in the front cover of the book, Miss Hollis Maynell. And uh, <clears throat> it intrigued him so much that he looked up her address. It wasn't hard to find. She lived right there in New York City. Um, so he wrote a letter introducing himself and inviting her to correspond with him. Uh, and so they began to write and become to know each other quite well through these letters. Um, and each letter was sort of like a seed falling on the uh, fertile heart, you know. And, and even maybe perhaps a romance was budding. Uh, <clears throat> but Blanchard requested a photograph of her, but she declined. She felt that if he really cared about her, <clears throat> it wouldn't matter what she looked like. When the day finally came um, for, for him, you know, um, to go to war, uh, they continued to write. And those letters really got him through the war there in, in Europe. Um, and so it finally came when the war was over, they decided to meet one another for the first time. And so there in Grand Central Station, seven o'clock PM, there he was waiting for Miss Hollis Maynell. And the way he would be able to identify her is she would have a rose in her lapel. Uh, and, and, and she said, you know, she wrote, you'll recognize me by the red rose I'll be wearing. So at seven o'clock, he's standing there in the station looking for the girl whose heart he loved, but whose face he didn't even know. Now, let me tell you in his exact words, the story of what happened. He said, a young woman was coming forward, her figure long and slim, her blonde hair lay back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were as blue as flowers. Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness. <clears throat> and in her pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. Uh, 
I started toward her entirely forgetting to notice that she was not wearing a rose. As I moved, a small provocative smile curved her lips. Going my way, sailor, she murmured. Almost uncontrollably, I made one step closer to her and then I saw Miss Hollis Maynell. She was standing almost directly behind the girl in the green suit. A woman well past 40, she had graying hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump, her thick ankled feet thrust into her low heeled shoes. The girl in the green suit was walking quickly away. I felt as though I was split in two. So keen was my desire to follow her and yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit who had truly companioned me and upheld my own during the war. And there she stood, her pale, plump face as gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had warm and a kindly twinkle. So I did not hesitate. My fingers gripped the small, worn blue leather copy of the book that was to identify me to her. And this would not be love, but it would be something precious, something perhaps even better than love, a friendship for which I had been and must be ever grateful. I squared my shoulders and saluted and held out the book to the woman even though while I spoke, I felt checked by the bitterness of my disappointment. I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Miss Maynell. I'm so glad I, uh, you could meet me here. May I take you to dinner? The woman's face broadened into a tolerant smile. I don't know what this is all about, son, she answered. But the young lady in the green suit who just went by, she begged me to wear this rose on my coat. And she said, if you were to ask me out to dinner, that I should tell you that she is waiting for you in the big restaurant across the street. She said, it was some kind of a test. <laughs> I like that story. Um, it, it was a test. And there's only certain things I think in life that can be revealed by a true test to see how you would do in any given situation. You know, um, the, the test that we have before us this morning has to do with your heart, a, a heart test. And we're not talking about, you know, an electrocardiogram or, you know, a stress test for your heart or whatever. You know, um, it, your heart is, is something different in the Bible. Um, Jesus actually gave us several things about our hearts that are sort of tests. Like there in Matthew 25, 40, when Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these brethren of mine, you did it for me. Like that's a test to see, you know, do you really love Christ? Do you follow Jesus without, um, can you really love Jesus without noticing those who, for whom he died, the poor, the needy, the downtrodden, the outcast, the sick? You see, um, there are tests that the Lord gives us in his word, <clears throat> but the thing is your heart, my heart, we need to test it to see, <clears throat> excuse me, how we're doing. Are we gonna fail the test? Well, as it turns out, your heart, my heart, it's a, it's a tricky thing. And Jeremiah is gonna bring to the surface something that's so true and so important for you and for me to think about and to know about. And it has to do with your heart. Let's take a look at the text. It's Jeremiah 17, verses nine through 10. Let's take a look. Jeremiah 17, verses nine and 10. And there it says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. 
Here the Lord says, uh, the heart is, a, is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. That's the heart of man. Now the second phrase in verse 10, uh, I, the Lord, search the heart and I try the reins. That's an old word we don't use anymore. It has to do with your thoughts and your mind, your conscience and your reasoning. It's a word that's a little tricky. The word heart, the word reigns. Well, the New International Version puts it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, and here it is, and examine the mind. That's trying the reins. Uh, it's a better way of putting it in modern uh, English. The Lord says he examines your mind. Does that scare anybody? To think that the Lord searches your heart and examines your mind? It's not just your heart, it's your mind. Your heart and your mind. Um, what we might call that in modern day, your software. You know, your, your software, your, your body is the hardware. Your heart, you know, uh, biologically is the, is the hardware. But when we speak of the heart in the Bible, we have to understand it's kind of a, a different thing than just the you know, right atrium and the left ventricle uh, pumping blood through the body. Although that's kind of amazing in and of itself. The heart itself is kind of amazing. And there's a reason why I think it's such an effective symbol of the inner man. Um, the heart is sort of the essence of, of sort of the life that we live and who we are and what have you. <clears throat> but the heart, did you know the heart at its full grown size in the adult person uh, weighs less than one pound? It's just this tiny little thing. In fact, it's, it's roughly a little bit bigger than the size of your fist. If you were to make a fist, that's how big your heart is. Some of us have bigger uh, hearts than others. Um, but it beats on the average 72 times a minute, 100,000 times per day, 40 million times per year. Your little heart just pumps away. 40 million times per year. Each day, your heart pumps the equivalent of 1,800 gallons of blood. Can you imagine the heart just pumping your blood through your system throughout the day? And if, 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 you, if it was just pumping from one giant tank to another, in one day, your heart would pump 1,800 gallons of blood. Do you know how much 1,800 gallons of blood is? Well, it weighs six tons. No wonder you're pooped at the end of the day. Man, your heart has just been lub-dubbing all day, pumping that blood. Uh, and it's amazing that you and I are still alive and kicking, let alone for years and years that heart keeps going. Did you know your circulation system just in your body has more than 60,000 miles of uh, vessels, blood vessels and uh, what have you, and arteries? 60,000 miles. That's if you stretched all your blood vessels end to end. It's, that's hard to even imagine. Um, but that's your, your heart pumping your blood through your system. Um, the Bible refers to your heart um, more than, uh, well, 954 times to be exact, uh, references to the heart. And by the way, you know, when it says it tries the reins or, or you know, um, the mind there, uh, the, the word soul is used 537 times in the Bible. The heart, 954, soul, 537. And both of those, the heart and the mind, speaks of the inner self, the part of you that thinks and feels, have passions, but also has intellect. It's, it's such a, a broad term, you know. Um, it, it's kind of interesting, you know, uh, that your heart is sort of the seat of emotion. And because it's where the software is, it sort of dictates what the hardware does, you know, and that's where it gets interesting. Your software comes out 
We see what kind of an operating system you're running when we see your actions and your behavior and your attitudes. And that's why it's so important. The Bible speaking of your soul, your heart, your mind, your feelings, your emotions. You know, some of the meanest things in the world come from the human heart. Um, you know, it's, it's an important thing to know that the heart uh, is where some of the worst stuff comes from. Jesus talked about this, by the way, in Mark chapter seven, he said this in Mark 7, 21 through 23, he said, from within, are uh, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. From within, out of the heart of men proceed those things. Um, it, it doesn't start with the hardware, it starts with the software, that is your heart. Um, one person put it, I don't know who said this, but I've heard it quoted over the years. Christians are like tea bags. You know what flavor they are when you put them in hot water. When you're going through tough times, difficult days, um, your heart, uh, that's where, where we reveal. I think we've seen that. You know, um, before the coronavirus and the Black Lives Matter and Antifa and before, uh, you know, um, the lockdowns and before 2020, I noticed that our church was very you know, united and we were one and, and, we, and, and maybe even before Trump, B, BT, before Trump, uh, I, I felt like we had such a, a united congregation. But it's been really amazing to watch how not just in Athey Creek, but truly Athey Creek and a lot of other Christians and churches and people all over the globe, so much division and nobody agrees and, and um, everybody's upset. Uh, they're upset if you lock down, they're upset if you don't lock down. They're upset if you comply, they're, they're upset if you don't comply. Uh, just everybody's upset and uh, disagreeing. And, and now that we're putting a little hot water in 2020, we're seeing the attitudes come out. We're seeing what's in the heart of people. And I have to say, it's not so good. A lot of, lot of bad I've noticed is coming through these difficult times of hot water. We're tasting some pretty bitter tea out there. So that's the problem. We have to search our heart and say, Lord, what's going on in the inner man of Athey Creekers? The soul, the mind, your emotions. You see, this, this idea of the human heart is um, really important for you to understand what the Bible actually teaches about this. Um, the Hebrew word for the word heart is important. And it's the word that's used over and over in the Bible. The Hebrew word, it looks like leb, but when you see a B in the Hebrew, it's, it's actually more of a V sound. So when you say heart in Hebrew, it's lev. Lev is how you say that. And the, the Hebrew word lev, so like our, our text, when it says the heart of man is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, it's the lev of man. Um, the inner man, the mind, the will, the understanding, the soul, the conscience, um, the seat of emotion and passion. That's the word heart. And it's an interesting word because in the Bible, used you know, over 900 times I told you, but this word, it's so full of meaning. It can mean not only your, your heart as, as in passion and emotion, but also your mind and, and your um, intellect even. In fact, uh, it's, it's such a broad word. I wanted to kind of spread it out for you so you can see the Hebrew word for lev. Um, when, when, it, when you look at this, the Bible speaks of the heart in all of these contexts. I've given you some Proverbs to look up. Uh, we'll put this slide up so you can see it for a while and maybe make your notes so you can see um, the Proverbs that relate to this. But the heart refers to the mind, the part of you that thinks through things, your logic, 
that's Proverbs 3, 3, 6, 21, 7, 3, uh, all deal with the mind and how important that is. But then also the emotions, you know, when you feel depressed or when you feel elation or, or joy, uh, Proverbs 15, 15 and 15, 30, talk about the emotions as it relates to lev, the heart, the Hebrew word, the will, the part of you that is determined to do stuff. Um, that's part of this idea of the heart and the whole of inner being, all of the part that's inside that nobody sees, but it's there. Proverbs 3, 5, and the source of your conduct, your actions. Whatever happens in the software, it dictates what the hardware does, where you go, what you say, what you do. And it's, it's the source of that conduct. Um, that's why, and importantly, you know, uh, Jesus talked about that when we read that verse in Mark 7 about how it comes from the heart, the things that are so ugly, the source of our conduct. Uh, most of the time, it's all that bad stuff. So this, this idea of the heart uh, referring to the mind as the center of thinking and reason, but also includes emotions, the will, and thus the whole inner being. Um, the heart is, is the depository of all wisdom and the source of what are, affects our speech, our sight, and our conduct. Now here's the problem. The heart is also given to moods, um, you know, you, we can be fooled by the mood that we're in. Have you ever noticed that? Whatever mood you're in? I've noticed it's interesting because I'll have, you know, we, we here at Athey have a pretty great staff that does a lot of good work here. And, um, and they'll say, hey, Pastor Brett, what do you think about this? Should we do this? And they'll ask me one day and I'll say, sure, yeah, let's do that. And then the next day they'll ask me, Brett, should we do that? Did you say yes? And I said, well, yeah, I said that yesterday, but now you're asking me today, I feel different. I'm in a different mood. <laughs> it's, it's very fickle, you know, the heart of man. We can be fooled by whatever mood we're in. Moods are fickle, the heart is fickle. And, and after a difficult day, you know, your heart can convince you you deserve something, that you, you're a good person and your heart can deceive you. See, that's the thing. You know, one of the dumbest things you'll hear someone say is, follow your heart. Don't listen to that. That's Disney. That's Pocahontas, Disney, or <clears throat> The Little Mermaid. That's really bad lifestyle practice to follow your heart. The Bible, our text tells us, you know, that the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. That would be a really bad way to go by following your heart. And so let's just put it right up there. Don't trust your heart. People do that all the time. Just following my heart. Like that's some noble thing. Nope, that's the dumbest thing you could ever do. Follow your heart. The Bible says no. Your heart is desperately wicked. And, and beyond being wicked, it's also deceitful. It will fool you. And it's, it, it's, it's your heart. That's by nature <clears throat> what it is. So you don't trust your heart. And so what, what, what should we not trust our heart in? Well, first of all, number one, mostly in what you believe. Don't just follow your heart in what you believe, especially when it comes to issues of faith. I hear that from time to time where people say, I'm just following my heart, you know, and I like to think of God as a woman in, in the woods and, um, you know, this and that. Who cares what your heart is saying? Your heart is desperately wicked and is deceitful above all things. People follow their heart right to the fires of hell. Uh, don't do that. You wanna know who did that, followed their heart and the followers follow their own hearts? It's a guy named Joseph Smith. You know, it's an interesting thing that Joseph Smith uh, decided to follow his heart. Mormons, um, where did they get their doctrine? Well, dude, Joseph Smith was out uh, when he suddenly met an angel from heaven. 
Moroni. And Moroni gave him some glasses and saw some plates and saw kind of another gospel. And so Joseph Smith wrote about it in the Book of Mormon. Now, the doctrine was different than that of Paul the Apostle and Peter in the Bible, so they had to add to the Bible and give us the Book of Mormon. Now, here's what you do when you talk to Mormons. This is something, I don't know if they still say this, but for years they were saying this, that they had this burning in their bosom. Another way of saying that, a burning in their heart. Their heart tells them that Mormonism is true. Well, see, that's the problem. Joseph Smith went with his heart when he met that angel. Let me ask you a question. Next Sunday, when we get people back in the sanctuary here, can you imagine if I'm, if I'm teaching the Bible and all of a sudden, oh, an angel floats right through the sanctuary, right here. Mm -mm, there's an angel floating. And you're like, wow, an angel. And, and the angel said, Pastor Brett is mostly right, but he gets it a little wrong on the gospel. Here's the true gospel. And the angel shares with all of us another gospel than that which Brett has preached, which is also the one that Paul the apostle preached, which is also the one that Jesus preached. So this angel comes and tells us, now that's quite an experience. Amazing, you saw an angel at Athey Creek. But would you believe that angel? But Brett, it was so glorious. It was an emotional event. The, the angels showed up in our church. Of course it's true. Did you know that even that event, you should call that angel accursed? Why? Paul the apostle in Galatians chapter one, verses six or nine, he says, listen, if we or an angel from heaven comes and gives you another gospel than that which we have preached, let that angel be accursed. And he says it again, as I've said before, I'll say it again. If an angel from heaven or if we come and give you another gospel, then that is not a gospel. And that angel, that person who's preaching that second gospel should be accursed or called damned, literally. So it's a, it's a tricky thing. That's exactly what happened to Joseph Smith. He was sitting there and an angel came and gave him another gospel. He said, wow, what an experience. And he wrote a book and millions of people have then followed false teaching because he went with his heart. And isn't it interesting that the Mormons, when you can logically explain why they shouldn't follow uh, Joseph Smith's writing and Brigham Young and all that, um, the reason that they shouldn't is because they're, they're going with their heart. And so the Mormon, their, their you know, default thing is, well, I've got a burning in my bosom. I've got a burning in my heart. I, didn't, I wouldn't trust that heart at all uh, because your heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can, who can know it? Only the Lord really knows the hearts and tries the reins or the mind. <clears throat> Peter warned that the devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so <clears throat> this is one of those areas that the enemy gets you is with your little heart that is so easily deceived and duped. Ask Eve there in the Garden of Eden or ask Muhammad. Muhammad? Well, Muhammad was deceived. There he was uh, in middle of warfare and needed to rally his troops. So there in 620 AD, Muhammad went into Medina and Mecca and there he went to this pantheons of God, gods and he chose out of 200 gods there that they worshiped, polytheism, 200 gods. He chose one to sort of unite all of his armies around the crescent moon god. It always cracks me up when people, it's kind of tragic really, but it cracks me up when people try to say, you know, Allah and Jehovah, it's all the same, the same God. Not even close. The Jehovah is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the I am of the burning bush of Moses. Um, uh, Allah is the crescent moon god, a black stone that was there in, in Medina um, and, um, and 
the Muhammad, the prophet of Allah, uh, started a new religion, totally a new religion. Um, and, uh, and, and a lot of people followed their hearts. They didn't follow something else that was more substantial, but they followed their hearts that are deceitful and desperately wicked. You see, that's the problem. When we believe in stuff, uh, it, it, sincerity, by the way, doesn't make you correct. Just because a Mormon is sincere, which I believe they are, some of the nicest people I know and good friends of mine are Mormons, but they're sincerely wrong. That's the, that's the bummer. And they've followed the burning in their bosom. Don't go with that. I hope you're not a Christian based on your heart because that's not a good basis for a belief. Um, so don't trust your heart in what you believe, number one. But also don't trust your heart in what you do, your actions. I'm just going with my heart. You know, if you're trusting in your heart, you're making a mistake, especially, by the way, if it's contrary to God's word. You know, like the Mormon thing went against what the Bible says about an angel from heaven coming and giving another gospel that just went right against Galatians chapter one, verses six through nine. But people followed their heart. In what you do, if everyone went with every whim that came into their hearts, the world would be a lot more chaotic than it already is. Um, there's definitely something to be said for self-control. Um, and this is not just common sense, it's also biblical. Self-control, your heart would be, if you did everything your heart desired, we, we'd be crazy, we'd go crazy. And that's not a good thing. So in what we believe and what we do, you can't trust your heart. Oftentimes you have to tell your heart to be quiet and sit down and mellow out. And instead of going with your heart, you gotta go with, well, well that's, that's the question. What should we do with this? You know, you might say, well, Brett, you're gonna say go with the Bible. I would say that. The Bible is a good standard. It's our compass. It's the anchor that holds us all down to truth. But I've got some good news for you because right now you might be thinking, Brett, my heart, if it's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, that's, that's horrible. I'm doomed. But if you're a believer and if you're a Christian, guess what? You're not doomed with a cruddy little heart. Praise the Lord for that. A heart of stone. That's what the Bible says. Hard heartedness, a stony little heart. You're not doomed with that as a believer because the Lord, he gives us something else to do. What do we do about our heart condition that we have? Well, if you have a heart condition today, you call a heart surgeon. And hopefully the heart surgeon will do his work or her work on your heart because you have a heart condition. Well, we spiritually have a heart condition. And so who do you call? You call the great physician. Uh, the Lord, Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals us. And I love what Ezekiel says. The book of Ezekiel, why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. And there in Ezekiel chapter 36, we read this. It's a, it's a great uh, answer to the heart condition. It says in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, it says, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. The Lord wants to give you a heart transplant. He wants to change your stony little heart. Ezekiel 36 says, uh, you'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will put you a heart of flesh replacing your stony heart with a heart of flesh and he'll put his spirit within you. Brett, well, that sounds like you're going with your heart again, your new heart, you're following your new heart. To do what? 
It says, so that when you get the new heart, you can, it'll cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. That's doing what the Bible says. That's the word of God. Right now, your heart has a proclivity to not do what the Bible says, but to do things that are contrary to the Bible. But you and I, we need a heart change, a heart transplant. And the Lord says, I will replace your stony little heart that's stubborn and hard-hearted, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments to do them. So the, the answer to our heart condition is that God is the great heart surgeon. And he wants to change your heart from a stony heart to a heart of flesh. What does this mean practically? Well, this is where the Bible gives us all kinds of great truth about what he will do um, to our hearts. When he changes your stony heart to a heart of flesh, what does that mean exactly? Well, the other scriptures tell us exactly what that means. I'd like to show you seven things that can happen to your heart when the great heart surgeon does a work on your heart. Jot them down, seven really cool things. Number one, he will give you the desires of your heart. He will change the desires of your hearts. Check it out, Psalm 37, four. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. Don't you love that? Now, this is something where people think, you mean God will give me anything I want? It's not exactly what it's saying. It's saying he'll change your desires. He'll give you new desires. If you don't delight in the Lord, you, you have heart's desires, but they're not the right desires. You desire things that are harmful to you. You desire things that are sinful. You know, people say, I was born with this sin the way I am. Yeah, you were born in sin. And the Lord wants to change your desires, whatever your desires are that are evil or wrong. The Lord says, if you delight yourself also in the Lord, what does it mean to delight in the Lord? Boy, we could talk, we could do a whole sermon on that. But it means to love the Lord, to believe in the Lord, to follow after the Lord, to pray, to read his word, to, to say, I'm gonna choose to make the, the, the Lord my delight. It's so easy to, to delight in things that are easy to delight in. Um, but it's funny, you know, I've noticed there's certain things that you don't automatically delight in, but eventually you kind of do. Um, you know, um, while I've not been too successful, sometimes dieting with diets, but I always, I've always liked working out. And it's a funny thing, when you first go to work out, you're like, I don't know if I wanna go work out, but once you actually go and work out, man, you almost look forward to it and it becomes sort of a delight uh, to burn off some steam and to, to get moving and stuff like that. It's a little bit like that when you, you say delight in the Lord. Well, what if I don't want to? Yeah, but you need to delight in the Lord, follow after, love, look to, believe on, read the scriptures, worship the Lord Jesus and delight in him. And then what happens? Your desires change. The Lord changes. He'll give you the desires of your heart. What an important thing that is, you know, um, very, very key. Um, Psalm 119 gives us a, a similar challenge and charge. Psalm 119, 36, incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Uh, the psalmist knew that our hearts needed to be inclined to the word of God. That's the word for testimony is the word. And instead of the things that we want, covetousness. Uh, that's, that's the, the psalmist knew that that was the right request, that the Lord wanted us to have the right heart and not just to have stuff, but to have the right heart for the Lord. I, I'm reminded of a story of a young high school graduate about to graduate from high school. And he and his dad had been looking at cars as a graduation present. 
Uh, they lived in a affluent neighborhood, wealthy, and that was kind of the thing. Kids got a car for graduation. <laughs> well, the dad and the son looked and found a, a car a month or so earlier uh, before the graduation. So the son was sure that some, uh, on graduation day, he'd be getting that car as a gift. But then the day came and the mom and dad were there and they gave him a box and he thought, surely these are the keys to that car. And as he opened it, inside the box was a Bible. And the son was pretty upset. You know, um, he decided that he didn't really want a Bible. He was looking forward to a car and he thought it was kind of a cruel joke for his dad and he to go looking around for cars, but only to give him a Bible for graduation. And he thought, he's empty, nothing, no keys in the box. And he threw the Bible down and stormed out of the house, angry. His father tried to stop him but Jason just kept on running out of the house and his father and Jason, they never saw each other ever again. News of his father's death years later came and Jason was home going through a bunch of his dad's possessions that are now some of his that he would inherit from his father. But he came across the graduation Bible and began idly flipping through the pages of that Bible that had his name etched on the front but there was a piece of paper sort of tucked in the Bible. And as he pulled it out, it was a cashier's check, dated the day of his graduation, the exact amount of the car that he and his father had chosen the month previous. I like that story because it's tragic, but a lot of people, they they don't realize that it's the word of God that has everything that you need in it. I think there's people that get frustrated. God hasn't come through. So I throw the Bible down and we don't realize the riches are in the Bible. The blessing is in God's word. And we don't realize that the Lord wants to change our heart with his testimonies, his covenants, his statutes and commandments. Um, Man, what is the Lord gonna do? He will change the desires of your heart. That's number one and uh, super important. Number two, on the list of things that the great heart surgeon will do in your heart. He will clean your heart. I love this, this is really important. He will clean your heart. Psalm 51.10 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The psalmist David knew what this meant. He knew that his heart had the propensity to get dirtied by just the fact that it's a deceitful heart. It's a heart that's desperately wicked deceitful above all things. And so the psalmist knowing that says, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. You know, I love that you and I are one confession away, one prayer of repentance away from having a clean heart. Our hearts are tainted with this world as we see stuff and hear stuff and think about things. The inner man, our soul can be grouchy and grumpy and can be perverted and can think things that are ugly and be violent and do all these things. Our heart, it may not even come out in the hardware, but it's there, the little virus that's in your software, that's there, that dirty, deceitful little heart. And you say, man, how do I get it out of here? If you confess your sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that, that my heart can be cleansed by the great heart surgeon And he wants to do that according to scripture. So he, number one, will change your heart's desires. Number two, he will clean my heart. Number three, he will strengthen my heart. 
Now, when we talk about strengthening the heart, what does that mean? Strengthening your soul, your mind, your emotions, that inner man. If I had a dime for every book that's been written about depression, uh, it seems like everybody writes a book about depression, everyone. And um, it's interesting that there's, there's all these solutions and what have you for depression. And I know it's very real. And a lot of people are plagued with depression. But one of the things the Lord says, and that's your mind, your psyche, your soul, the Bible calls it the leb, the Hebrew word for your heart, the inner self. Um, I love what the Bible says in Psalm 73, 26. It says, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and, the, and my portion forever. The psalmist knew, and by the way, if you read the Psalms, you realize David, he was bipolar. Like the poor guy was maybe even manic. Like it was, it was really, like if you were a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, you could have a field day with David studying his ups and downs, his depression, his moods. But he finally got to this place where he said, my flesh and my heart fails me, my soul, my inner man. But God is the strength of my heart. I love that. Jeremiah tells us this, and um, this is our text um, uh, just a, a little sneak preview of Wednesday night as we study Jeremiah 17. But it says in Jeremiah 17, five, thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. You see, David knew that he should go to the Lord for his heart troubles, for his depression, for his anxiety. But there's a lot of people, according to Jeremiah, that instead of trusting the Lord with their heart, they departed from the Lord and put their trust, their heart trusting in man, the, the arm of flesh, man. Um, but then in chapter 17, verse seven, Jeremiah says this, blessed or happy is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. And then he says, your heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. You see, there's a pattern developing here in Jeremiah 17 that we'll see on Wednesday night that's dealing with this inner person, this inner soul the heart, and the Lord's saying, listen, I want to clean your heart, but I also wanna strengthen your heart. Your heart is weak. Um, boy, I, I gotta say, there, there's been some wonderful testimonies over the years I've heard of people who had emotional struggles of various kinds. And what's interesting is, is to watch how many people have actually been helped by just simply turning their hearts over to the Lord. I know it sounds too good to be true. Some people say that's oversimplifying something that's a real problem of neurology. But the truth is the Bible says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. And that the Lord will strengthen my heart. That's what he promises that he will do. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Trust the Lord with your heart and you'll find strength. And so I've got stories of people who were once on serotonin level altering medications and doctors prescribed them for years and leveled them right off. And, but they also didn't feel like themselves and it was, it was a struggle and trouble. And I've got great stories of people who were able to, to eventually go off of those meds as they were able to entrust their heart to the Lord. Now there's a place and a time for medicine and, and medications, of course. And I've always said that. But I also think we need to make sure and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Um, and then the Lord will add all these other things to you. 
Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Very important. Well, he will, uh, you know, strengthen your heart. Uh, Number four on our list of things that the heart surgeon does to your heart, he will enlarge your heart. Now, some of you surgeons, we have a few heart surgeons out there at Athey Creek. You might be saying, well, Brett, that's a bad thing. We don't want an enlarged heart. That's a problem. Well, it is medically, biologically, physiologically, but spiritually, an enlarged heart, as it turns out, is a good thing. Uh, But it's more of a metaphor. It's like, uh, you know, are you a big hearted person? Uh, what is a big hearted person? A person who's joyful and giving and forgiving and kind, compassionate. That's a big hearted person. That's the idea. So Psalm 119 verse 32 says, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. How is your heart enlarged to be bigger, a big hearted person? By going the way, not just going, but running the way of the commandments. That's again, going to the word of God. I gotta tell you folks, Everything we do as Christians is linked to the word of God. And unless you are a real student of scripture and give real credence to the word of God in your daily life, you're gonna miss all this stuff. It's really very much all about the word of God. Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, saith the Lord. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the word of God, you see. So as I run the way of the commandments, the word of God, then the Lord says, I will enlarge your heart. Um, sounds good to me. Big heartedness, forgiving, forgiving, kind, loving. That's what the Lord will do to your heart. Instead of being stingy, maybe you'll watch the Grinch who stole Christmas this year. Remember his little tiny heart? And then he got a bigger heart and suddenly he was kind. Great Christian movie, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Not really, I'm just making fun of it. But, but it, there's actually a truth there. And that's one of the things the Lord wants to do is change your Grinchy little heart and have it grow. I forget, how many times did his heart grow? I can't remember. Three times bigger. The Lord will go seven. That's because I have seven points, right? Well, anyway, he will enlarge my heart. I hope he does yours as well. That's number number four. Number five on our list, he will, as, as it turns out, heal your heart. Has anybody had a broken heart or a hurt heart? Man, uh, I've noticed that as a pastor over the years, that's one of the, the, the most common things I hear and see in the congregation of the Lord is people that have been wounded. And it it really is sad. Literally heartbrokenness is a massive condition that we see. But I love Psalm 147, three, it says, the Lord heals the broken in heart and will bind up their wounds. The great heart surgeon, the Lord who takes our heart, the lev, Hebrew word, uh, he wants to heal you up and bind up your wounds. Man, I love that. You know, Joseph Parker, that preacher from several generations ago, uh, commented to a young minister uh, and a timely thing for pastors to remember. He said this, in every pew, there's a broken heart. Speak often on suffering and you will never lack for a congregation. Boy, that's the truth. I've found that to be true as a pastor of all these years. I've found that people are wounded and a lot of hurt hearts, but I love that the scriptures give us the answer. The Lord is the one who heals the broken heart. In fact, Psalm 34 verse 18 says, the Lord is near unto those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. You know, that person that dumped you, wronged you, hates you, and your heart is broken. Every time you think about them, your heart hurts. The Lord says, I can fix that. He's the great heart surgeon that can deal with your heart in a beautiful and powerful way. Well, 
All that to say, man, he can heal your heart. Now I've got a bad one before we do the final good one. Do you wanna hear the bad one? This is something the Lord will do to your heart. Uh, And there's some cases where it's gonna happen and it's a heavy one. Here it is. The Lord can harden your heart. The great heart surgeon can do all kinds of good, but there is one thing that can, the Lord can do to your heart that man, God forbid that you allow this to happen. You know, the, the story of Pharaoh there in the book of Exodus, uh, it's interesting how many times, it says something like 18 times, it talks about Pharaoh's hard heart, that he had a hard heart, Pharaoh. But what's intriguing about that story in Exodus, if you go back and look in the original language of the Hebrew, you actually see that the word harden of his heart was used 18 times, but nine of the 18 times, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, but the other nine of the times, it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened by the Lord, that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Isn't it interesting? that um, the Lord will harden a person's heart. You know, it's, it's Genesis chapter six that talks about how the spirit of God will not always strive with man. There's a threshold where God will work. He's willing to work with your heart until you harden your heart long enough to where finally Lord says, okay, you wanna harden your heart? I will harden it once and for all. Read Romans chapter one. We looked at this last week where it says they were neither thankful, neither gave glory to God for creation but they made idols and worshiped gods and goddesses and what have you. And they gave themselves over to perversity and to uncleanness and to sinfulness. And so the Lord gave them over to their own lusts. He gave them over. There's a a time where God actually gives a person over to their own desires. Oh, see, that's, that's the saddest thing I think I can even consider this morning. A person who's given in to their deceitful little heart Their heart has deceived them. So they just keep going with their heart, going with their heart all their life long. And as they follow their heart, they lead them right into perdition and sin. And God finally says, man, you've gone with your heart long enough. I'm gonna give you over to your own heart. Um, and, And the Lord begins to harden your heart. Jesus actually talked about this in John chapter 12. Let's read that. In John chapter 12, he talked about this progression that happened in the heart's of the people as they saw the miracles that Jesus had done. It says in John 12, 37 through 40, it says, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted that I should heal them. Now watch this verse. There's three progressions that we see inside this verse. Number one, they believed not on him so that they could not believe that they should not, uh, should not see. That's the three things. They believed not on him. In other words, you could say they would not so that they could not so that they should not. That's the progression of a hard-hearted person. And that, that's why the Lord says, because Isaiah said that he's blinded their eyes and, and the Lord hardened their hearts that they should not see with their eyes. It would be impossible for them to see. And then Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 tells us the Jews that saw Jesus at that time, their eyes had been blinded that they did not see the Messiah. And the Jews largely are in that condition now where their hearts were hardened sort of semi-permanently for a long time to come. 
They believed not on him, so they could not believe, so that they should not believe. God forbid that you allow your heart to be hardened to the point where God says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the nail in the coffin and harden your heart once and for all. Only the Lord knows when that is, when that person has crossed the threshold of the unsavability of a person. Uh, we don't know where that is, but God says, I can harden your heart. Uh, now, so far we've got six. Number one, he will change my heart's desires. Number two, he will clean my heart. Number three, he will strengthen your heart. Uh, number four, he will enlarge your heart. Number five, he will heal your heart. Number six, he can harden your heart. But lastly, um, and I love this one, number, number seven, finally, he can establish your heart. The Lord can establish your heart. The scripture that I put to that is Hebrews 13, verse nine. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. Those are people that go with their heart. I like to think of God as this, as Oprah says. Don't go with your heart, that's stupid. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Again, Hebrews 13, nine. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Grace. How is your heart established? Does anybody like that idea of having your heart established? Especially those of you that have hearts, mind, soul, will, um, all that inner man stuff we were talking about earlier. When you're the person that has the roller coaster heart, ups and downs and highs and lows and emotions, and you say, man, I just, I wish I was more steady, like those people that just are more monotone, and, and you wish for that. How is your heart established? because that's the word there. Established means kind of set. And, and man, so many people need a heart that's set. What is it that establishes a heart? Hebrews 13, nine. This is how the great heart, heart physician stabilizes your heart. It's, I'll call it the spiritual pacemaker that keeps your heart on track in the right mode and keeps you from emotional highs and lows to a degree. I mean, we're always gonna wrestle with this, but I love the, the thing that establishes your heart. It's not, it's not the law. It's not being good, it's not your willpower. It's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. None of those things are that which establishes your heart. You wanna know what establishes the heart? Grace, did you see that? Be not carried about with diverse and strange teaching doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. I love that. That's how we're saved. That's how we're established. That's how we stay saved. That's how we continue walking as Christians. It's by the grace of God. Now the grace is that undeserved, unearned favor and love that God shows you. And it's all because of him. It has nothing to do with you. It's just, we have this huge hearted God who loves us feverishly. He loves us beautifully. Uh, we don't even know the height, the length, the breadth of the love of God. It's, it's hard to even express. And so we, our, our words fall short in trying to describe the love of God. But that's how you and I are established, by his grace. You're saved by grace through faith, not of your works, lest any man should boast. But the idea of grace is, is how your heart is established as well. Um, I love that the Lord wants your heart to be established. He wants your heart to be at peace, your soul, your inner mind, your, your inner man. Uh, Colossians 3 verse 15 says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body and be ye thankful. Be thankful for what? That the Lord wants that peace of God to rule in your hearts. 
Man, this is the God we serve. Isn't that amazing? That we serve a God that wants your heart, your inner soul, your mind, your emotions, your will to just be established in his grace. When you feel yourself you know, going on that roller coaster ride that your heart tends to lead, which is deceitful, usually that roller coaster you're on emotionally has nothing to do with truth. It has to do with deceit. And you're not seeing the picture clearly. Uh, what is it that you should look at that keeps you on the straight path? The grace of God, that he loves you in spite of your sins, in spite of who you are. And the Lord deals with all those things so that he can love you with a perfect love. I love that. Keeping your eye on the Lord, keeping your eye on his word, not on the situation around you. You know, it's that story of the farmer who was new. He was a greenhorn and he moved into that farmland and started trying to plow, but his, his, his plow rows were all squirrely and wurgly and he couldn't get his oxen to go in the right direction and trying to make it straight. As, but he looked at the neighbors and they were perfect lines. And so finally the new guy went to the neighbors and said, man, how do you guys you know, plow such straight lines? And one of the old farmers says, well, you gotta fix your eyes on something down, down range. And, uh, and then just go for that. So the farmer went back and man, his rows got worse. Uh, and they were even more squirrely than ever. And he said, what am I doing wrong? Well, he said, what did you fix your eye on? He said, the cow. There was a cow over there wandering around and that's why his rows were even more squirrely. <laughs> uh, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta set your sight on something that's immovable. Um, that's the idea, boulder that's not gonna move. Um, see, that's the problem. A lot of people, their hearts and their soul, their mind as well is real squirrely. It's all over the place. And it's because they're fixed on circumstances. That's the cow that's moving around and they wonder why their, their life is spaghetti. You gotta fix your eyes on the grace of God, immovable, unshakable, which we find in the word of God and how God thinks about you. Un, un, um, unable to move God when it comes to his love for you. Um, you know, his grace is perfectly stable. It's the anchor that holds us down. And he'll have that peace that will rule your heart, according to Colossians 3, 15. You see, this is so important for Christians to know that your heart, as it starts out, it's deceitfully wicked. It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. Our text tells us this, the Lord, he, he's able to search the heart and try the reins, see what's going on in your mind and your emotions. But the heart of the Lord is to do this work. The great heart physician, he wants to do it for you. He'll change your heart, he'll clean your heart, strengthen your heart, enlarge your heart, heal your heart. He can harden your heart, God forbid, but he also can establish your heart by his grace through faith. What a powerful and important truth that is. Be established, brothers and sisters, what a key. And if you're not a Christian, if you've never given your heart to the Lord, your heart is still in sin and your heart's gonna mislead you. Maybe you've been going with your heart saying, I'm an atheist. Maybe you've been going with your soul and your intellect thinking I'm an agnostic. But there's still a smidgen within you, praise the Lord for that, that says there's gotta be something more than my little brain in the cosmos that I can worship. There's gotta be something bigger and there's something in your heart that is still hidden underneath all that logic seemingly. That's the Lord saying, I'm right here and I wanna do a work on your heart and give you a heart of flesh rather than your heart of stone. 
The Lord wants to save you and replace your heart by his grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it, but he'll forgive you for all your sins and have you headed for heaven. When you die, you'll go to heaven because of God's grace. It's not because of your intellect or your ability to figure everything out. It's salvation by the true and living God and it's there for the taking. And don't let your heart get hardened to the point where God says, okay, you want a hard heart? I'm gonna harden it further still. Don't let yourself get past that point. That's the point of no return. The way you break through that is say, I repent of my sins. That means to just acknowledge your sin before God and say, here it is, I am a sinner and I've blown it. And change your mind about that sin. That's, it means it's a military term. To do an about face is repentance. And then, and then to confess your sins and say, Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose from the grave like he said he would and lives to make intercession for me. Just to believe that Christ died for me, rose from the grave, and he's the reason I get to live forever in heaven is because of what Jesus did. Nothing you did, nothing you can earn, it's a free gift of God. So if that's you and you wanna accept Christ, would you please just confess that to the Lord, your faith in Jesus who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave. If you believe that, isn't it interesting that the Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10 says, here's what makes you a Christian. Here's what saves you. Confession with the mouth and listen, belief in the heart. Those two, are the, those two are the big conditions. Confession with the mouth, belief in the heart that Jesus died and rose from the grave. It says you will be saved if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus, that he died and that he rose from the grave for your sins. Man, that's the good news of the gospel and I hope you will cling to the gospel. If, if that's you and you wanna accept Christ and you need help, give us a call or log on to our website. We can chat with you. Uh, man, you can talk to one of the pastors. You can Zoom it up with them or talk to them on the phone. Uh, we've got pastors, we've got women's ministry volunteers that are amazing. Um, anyone who can give you, uh, you know, just some good solid counsel, we're, we're available for you. Uh, so please reach out to us if you need any help with your faith, with your walk, with your heart, we'll point you to the great heart surgeon, the Lord himself. In Jesus' name, let's pray. And so Father, we're so thankful that you are Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals our hearts. Lord, that you're the one who's the great heart surgeon that will change our stony heart for a heart of flesh. One that works, one that's real and not deceitful. We admit, Lord, that our hearts are full of sin that in our fallen condition, Lord, that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. So we don't wanna go with our hearts. We wanna go with your word, the truth of your word. Help us to stick to that, Lord. I pray for the greater church, Lord, all over our country as we find that people are going with emotions and experiences over the, the scriptures. Lord, I pray that we would be good doctrinally, that your church would not go with their hearts, but go with your word instead. So, so, such an anchor, such a clear compass. What a great stone of foundation, your word, that it brings to us. So we wanna stand on that, Lord, firmly. Uh, we thank you for this word this morning. Now may it be applied to our lives practically. In Jesus' name, amen.